Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Product Coalition European Tour, where today I'm really excited to be joined by Stefan Haas. Welcome, Stefan. Welcome, Jay, and thanks, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Apologies, it's not face-to-face in Berlin as we planned. Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's something kind of came in between. Huh? It's called a, a COVID, <laughs> COVID-19 uh, thing. Yeah. Going in a way, yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. So for those listening, this is a remote podcast recording, which means the sound quality might not be what you'd expect from a face-to-face session, but please forgive us. We're doing our best to create some value for us for you during this time. So as I mentioned, this is the part of, podcast as part of the European tour. I originally set out to visit five cities and interview over 50 product leaders across Europe to gain insights, knowledge, and experience to share with you the global product coalition community. Right now, all of that is going to be pretty much remote um, podcast recordings. Now, the reason for that was to create awareness and support for the bushfire-affected communities of Australia. So if you do enjoy this episode or any episode of the Product Coalition European Tour, please consider supporting the communities of Australia, which have been even further devastated by the lack of tourist dollar that they'll receive this year. You can support the volunteer firefighters, the wildlife or the National Bushfire Fund over at bushfire.productcoalition.com. If you've just discovered the Product Coalition, welcome. We're a global community of over 500,000 readers, 6,000 Slack members, and thousands of podcast listeners. You can head to platform.productcoalition.com to find out more. Now, before we get stuck in, I do need to give a big thanks to some brands and individuals who've made significant contributions to the Bushfire fundraiser I mentioned. First up is UserPilot. UserPilot is a code-free user onboarding and adoption tool designed especially for product management teams. UserPilot helps to increase conversion, user retention rates and reduce churn by guiding new users to their first aha moment with interactive walkthroughs, contextual product tours and onboarding checklists. It allows product managers to build fully customizable, behavior-triggered in-app experiences with a simple visual editor. Go to userpilot.com to grab a demo and a free trial. Shobit Chuk is a Google product manager and he helps product managers become product leaders and have careers they can be proud of. Go to intentionalproductmanager.com and sign up for Shobit's free class on the habits that turn product managers into exceptional product leaders and help them move through their careers fast. Product-led teams like Mixpanel and Flexport know that the best time to capture engagement is when a user is already inside the product. That's why they use Chameleon to drive feature adoption, build onboarding flows, and gather user feedback. You can give it a go at trychameleon.com forward slash success. I'd also like to thank Rich Miranoff, Chris Miles, and James Woodley for their significant donations. Stefan, I'm looking forward to chatting through with you today. We're talking about nurturing a product learning network in disruptive times. I'm looking forward to working through this with you. Before we get stuck in, Stefan, do you mind giving the audience and myself a bit of background to you and your career path so far? Well, I started with, uh, with product quite a while ago in the uh, uh, mid of 90s, last century. So, um, I've been. Uh, I come. I come from a tech background, so I, I studied computer science, computational linguistics, and AI. And while well, just when I went on the job market, I, I found myself struggling with not technical problems, as I, I've been used to in in, uh, in university. I, I struggled with social and human problems, so I kind of became a. Uh, my, my wife always likes to call me a, a, a tech psychologist so i'm a kind of amateur psychologist with a tech background and that kept me busy until now so um i started working in little companies here in berlin um 
building building websites, uh, building CMS websites, things like that, and then spend the rest of my time with companies doing product uh, management in the tech and IT um, IT background uh, till. 2012, uh, uh, 20, 20, 2012, where um, I started uh, what is now the product dojo that uh, was co-founded with uh, Catherine Lewis and me in Berlin. Fantastic, fantastic. So could, could you tell us a little bit more? Um, what's, what's product dojo all about? Well, um, Catherine and me, and me we, we came together in 2010-11. Um, we thought that um, there's a lot uh, that you can do when you're an engineer or when you are also someone from the UX field, but there's very little uh, known about what you can do when you want to have a product career. Uh, this time there were no conferences. You could go to Scrum Alliance and learn a little bit how to prioritize the product backlog, but that's it. And we felt there's a huge gap from what, so we both come very much from the, from the Scrum background when you when you understand hey what is the product owner supposed to do um, and how to do that actually so how do you know um, this is important or that's not important and how do you actually deal with your team when it's actually in a dysfunctional mode or how do you deal with your with your company's business model uh, if you see well there's another opportunity all of these questions totally left open from what you could learn these times, so we, so we thought, wow, well, um, let's let's put something together that we call the product dojo. The idea is it's a sort of gym for product owners to come together and train and practice um, far beyond what you normally do when you just go to a standard agile class in product ownership. Fantastic, fantastic. So, you know, uh, was it two thousand and eleven that you started product dojo? Well, the product dojo itself, the first event was 2012, November, but playing with the concept and doing some pre, uh, let's say some test workshops, uh, I started in 2011. Wow. Wow. Well, it certainly takes passion to continue to drive a product-based business. Where, where does your passion come from, Stefan? Well, I think it's still the same. It's kind of the mixture of tech and people that... Uh, that I feel so much attracted to. So it's uh, it's whenever you have this feeling that the team is getting to a flow and you create something valuable for a customer together. And um, but we see ourselves also very much as a product company. So whenever we do, we craft a workshop for an organization, we do something that is like customer discovery. We need to know really what the core problems are and then have some, have of course, a lot of patterns ready that we can actually use for, for creating a journey for our customers that they actually can learn. So we are always in this mode of creating something together for people that they can make some progress. And this is, I think, for me, the core in, in product that you, uh, that you build something that helps other people make some progress. So get their job done if you want, uh, if you want to uh, use this, this concept. Um, and, and that's, it's like helping people, if you like, in a way that is, uh, that is uh, useful. And you feel like, well, you get this feeling of you're needed. You, 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 you get some positive feedbacks if you're doing a really good job. And also helping others do that uh, in a way that's, uh, that's, that's actually that's driving me. 
Can I ask, Stefan, are the students any different that are coming to you today as opposed to eight, nine years ago? Yeah, well, when we were started, when we started in 2012, um, I think we were just very lucky because we were using none of, of the methods we are teaching now, like with early experiments and first uh, first build, build your customers and then uh, with, with the MVP. We just started launching the event and then we were super lucky to have um, early early product companies in Berlin joining us. So uh, we were extremely thankful that uh, people from Vuga, for example, joined us. That's a, uh, that's a gaming company that for me is, is a core product company. So they have already this, like I would say, product DNA with small autonomous teams uh, directly targeting uh, customer problems on the market, etc. So we were very lucky that we got the right customers uh, with uh, our first launch and actually we're happy then continuously grow with, with this uh, folks. So we had the early adopters first. Now we, um, I think we, we see that product or this way of working is getting more and more traction. I would not call it mainstream, but uh, definitely something that we have a lot of conferences, we have Mind the Product, we have productized in Lisbon where you are right now. And um, it's, it's, it's a growing, we have product coalition. Yeah, so we have, it's like a, it's like a, um, I would say it's a, it's a, um, occupational culture starting. Yeah, so what, what Catherine and me also observed in the beginning, we had engineers, they had their culture. So they came from the university, they started to study together, they had coding dojos. And so we thought, hey, we need something like that for product tools, this exchange, uh, this, this learning from each others. And, um, and we, we had some other thoughts. We thought, well, there are so many tool vendors around. So we, we have the Scrum Alliance, we have Scrum.org, uh, we have the D schools, we have, uh, yeah, you know, all these vendors try to push their tools. So you get Scrum and then whatever problem you see, Scrum is the solution. <laughs> and yeah, and we thought, wow, this is actually not the real world of product. Product is going beyond that. And, um, and there's no space where you can actually play and explore all of these different aspects that make sense in different contexts to, yeah, to build your own toolbox and to build your own procedural knowledge and how to apply that in a specific context uh, opposed to another where you probably will do something completely different. So um, we were not going this way of building our own tools, but we wanted to create more like a network and a gym for people to practice whatever they need to make great products or help customers to make progress brilliant brilliant can i ask what what do you think the the future holds for for product management hmm. a lot's obviously changing <laughs> yeah yeah i mean um maybe i don't know i would not say that i would have a good guess for the real future for product um, I have a bet for the future of um, more for us uh, as, as what, right. what we what actually what we do we have a kind of pivot in, in 2018 because we were uh, I think we were very much in this um, thinking model um, let's let's take a customer job to be done um, 
try to digitize, digitize that, so create a solution for this, whatever that may be, and uh, build a business model around that that can grow. I mean, that's like what I would say is the core of uh, product or the philosophy behind. And we saw, well, we cannot basically go on like that, ignoring that our economic system is embedded in a social system, which itself is embedded in an ecological system, so the planet. So the planet boundaries seem to be like on a on the edge, and um, you know that from the bushfires in Australia, we get this little warning shot from the COVID nineteen now that why uh, that is actually the ecological system saying hey there is something else, and um, we think that uh, we have to think in in very different terms in product. Um, taking sustainability in a, in a totally different direction than we do at the moment. So for us, it's actually not anymore so important to solve any customer problem, to create just another business model that grows, but to really be very mindful of what we want to do with product. Um, just to give you an example, I mean, when you, when you look on the streets, people try to outcompete in height and weight of their cars, even in cities like Berlin. So when you think about that like a business model and, uh, and a product perspective without taking planet into uh, and social and social into account, then it's a good thing. Why not do that? Um, thinking about planetary boundaries and also the social system is actually not a very brilliant idea to fill up streets with SUVs and uh, and that 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 wastes a lot of uh, a lot of CO2 uh, when when they just uh, drive. So we think that that product ethics and uh, we think that sustainable product is the way to go. Um, from our experiments uh, or experiences last year, starting this, so for example. Um, we, we tried to connect a little bit the, the Extinction Rebellion group with product last year in Berlin. We think product is really very much not having the wake up call yet. So um, there were not much traction on this type of thinking. Changed a little bit, yeah, changed a little bit. So we had, we see that companies like Zalando, for example, seriously consider sustainability as an essential as an essential part of um yeah their business model or the i would say other the the market constraints coming yeah so that their customers will will also become more sustainable aware but this is still very slow and very on an early early stage i would say at least from my personal perspective mm. but yeah well i think the the climate and the planetary bonus will not go away they are just there so it's kind of Right. Safe bet that this is a problem. Yeah. It's not yet uh, clear how the human human condition will, will react to that. I love how you've taken um, this mindset and brought it up a level to greater systems thinking and and going beyond this the system that the product plays a part of to the the system that the, mm -hmm. the life of the person plays a part of and, and have grown. For for many product managers um, that are adopting this mindset and thinking beyond and with, with new ethical boundaries that are now considering, it's easy for them to implement that into their product strategy. 
and mm-hmm. distribute that downwards. How do you find that they go about having that conversation upwards where it <laughs> therefore needs to be influenced or interpreted into the business strategy? Yeah. I mean, we all know from product that we always have this already this conflict of um, creating customer value while being um, within the constraints of the business model. So um, I think this is kind of a, I would say one of the oldest themes in product that you want to create something valuable for the customer. So you have the desirability and the feasibility, but then someone comes, Hey, how can we make money with that? And um, so this finding this balance is already, I would say something in, in the DNA of product, but now we have to actually move a little bit further and think about does it really make sense in a more holistic way, what we are doing. So yes, we may be able to solve this customer job, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it be much better to not solve it or have something something else that solves this in a way that that um, yeah the the customer need is satisfied in a way that it's not leading to more consumption. I mean, when we take the Salando case for example, I mean, fashion by itself is actually something that's not really sustainable because, well, you're not wearing clothes because they are making you warm or they just cover your, your, your body. You're wearing them because they are fashionable and fashion goes out of fashion and you have new ones, yeah? And um, continuing this, this would mean that the whole business model itself is in conflict with a sustainable thinking model in conflict with the um, stock market, the shareholders, etc. So we have a, I would say we have a big system problem that we need to solve. I would trust the product people because as I I know them, uh, uh, for me, the system thinkers in the organization are the network people, are the people who can actually think in a more complex way than uh, than most others in 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 the organization would be extremely helpful in that. Still, I see that the product community is very much bound or or constricted in this economic way of thinking. Um, Because, well, for me, the product is always uh, representing the the viability in this triangle, desirability, feasibility, and viability. So most product people come from business. So they're standing for how to make money with the innovation. But I think that that's actually where I think the change can 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 happen in the organization if we if we manage to 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 get to a new a new way of thinking product. Definitely. And I know some good examples of that. Yeah. Right? Could you give us an example, Stefan? Yeah. Well, just one that I know from personal contact is uh, Ecosia. That's a search engine that's. Um, Basically, competition to Google with, a, but a very different business model. So they uh, use their advertisement revenue stream to uh, plant trees. Um, so they are kind of a self-growing uh, company. So they are they are sustainable in a way. So they have a sustainable business model, but they are not oriented to growth. But they are more oriented to actually spend the money, whatever they t- uh, they earn, um, to. Uh, to do something good, so actually um, um, compensate, yeah. And uh, so that's that would be, for example, uh, would be just one example. Fantastic. We, we know Fairphone, for example, that's another one, yeah. That's just a 
that just uh, uh, found that uh, that where the supply ch chain is following fair production um, production uh, guidelines. So these are, I would say, good examples. I'm I'm looking for a pivot that could help actually Product Dojo itself become a sustainable company, which is well looking at our own business model it's pretty simple so we can run we can compensate and we can run on 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 um sustainable resources because we are a tiny tiny consulting company so that's probably the the easy part um the more difficult part is uh looking at the business model so we would have to stop supporting organizations that uh that are not sustainable right okay. and, so there, there the interesting part starts, uh, and that's something that I must uh, say we are completely ambivalent. So we are, of course, working for large organizations that are that are definitely not sustainable. We exclude some, so we would not work for the oil industry or for direct for military or things like that. But um, the rest, we are open. Yeah. So we 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 try to we try to. Um, we try to, to 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 help people get into the mindset. So whenever we do a public training, we we build the, all the exercises around UN sustainability goals, etc. So we try to try to bring the the ideas into the community. But that's a tiny weak weak thing, I would say. It would be much stronger if you would just say, "Hey, we are just only working for sustainable companies," which we cannot afford because our business model would be then not sustainable anymore. So that, this is something I would, I'm currently thinking about and working on and uh, trying to find ideas. Um, for for and, many uh, people yeah. um, listening, Stefan, uh, I'm, you know, there's, there's many roadmaps out there that I'm sure are getting heavily re reviewed right now because of the COVID-19 situation. Oh, it's affected yeah. their suppliers uh, yeah. or the demand for their products or how they go about building or fabricating a product. Um, with regards to that in itself, though, there's possibly an opportunity for product managers who are having to either pivot product um, or the strategy or both um, to start to be more mindful around making ethical decisions, you know, beyond the year 2020. Um, can I ask, with such a big change that's happening around us and disruption, um, how do you go about responding to, to mm -hmm. disruption in, in this type of situation? Mm -hmm. I mean, we so our own company or our own value proposition is, is very much built around uh in person or personal workshops so being in one space using whiteboards post-its things like that so we were very uh not very much in the, in the digital until until now uh because we 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 have this idea of yeah high bandwidth collaboration that's the best place to learn together and we always thought yes um online or digital is important but uh we always had that on the back on our uh, yeah number two three on the backlog so it never got pulled pulled out so this is something that um we for us are investing now in and we see if we manage to get into this space this can help a lot because we will not have to travel that much anymore and i think this is something that's happening all over the world now so i talked to one of the biggest chemistry companies just uh, this morning here in Ber uh, not in berlin in, in, in germany 
and everyone is working from home there. So like the leadership teams, but that's new for them, but they're, they're learning now rapidly. And um, we hope that um, this, uh, this, this knowledge that they're creating now is actually can, can, can live, live on after, after this uh, COVID crisis. For, for product itself, um, like a general uh, assumption, I'm, I'm a bit skeptical because everyone is now very much in a chaotic and panic mode and, um, and trying to find opportunities either in the, in the situations or come up with some, some pivots that help you help now which we have seen like companies starting to sue face masks and, and do, do just anything that could help now others. But it's very much ad hoc and it's very much with the purpose of helping the company survive the crisis. So the main objective is economic sustainability now. So how, what, can, what can we do to make our company survive? Which we also do, everyone is doing that at the moment. And so I'm a bit afraid that this ecological thinking mm. is going to push back and you need really to think further to think, well, maybe this is just the first thing or first event that I would call a, like an ecological uh, disruption. And if you go on like that, so we will have uh, even even uh, much severe uh, interruptions coming from from violating planetary boundaries. So, um, and I'm, I'm I would say I'm, I'm really ambivalent with this. Yeah, either we think, wow, with technology and being better organized, we can handle these type of crises, and these are just uh, ways where we can yeah grow again, or if this is really bring us into a mode where we step two steps back and think about, wow, what if, what if it's not that bad that I cannot fly over to United States or to wherever I like? What if this is just okay that I stay here? Yeah, so I would decouple a little bit my, mm. my satisfaction from, from ways to, to um, from, from yeah. just having more, more of travel, more of products, more of whatever. Yeah. Well, we know as, as product people that, you know, we, we run off data and assumptions and there's no data historically in the history yeah. of the world that, that mm-hmm. we've got to leverage in this situation. So there's something more massive and um, it's, it's some people will win and some people will lose. And I think in some instances, the environment will win. You know, if, if I think about um, the lack of travel going on, um, lack of jet planes pumping out. CO2 and those types of things. But then the amount of people that are at home with their heaters on 24 hours a day now and their televisions on 24 hours a day, um, which one's the the better of the bad two? Um, And and so until some of this data starts to feed back, um, I think you're right. And, you know, the decisions we're making now may not be the right decisions beyond keeping ourselves going and uh, I just hope everyone does take a breath when there's a little bit more data available to say yeah that was the right decision with what we knew then now we know this let's let's not continue on this path and let's make a bit more of an intelligent decision um without all of the panic that we've we've got around right now yeah yeah I mean, we are in a chaotic situation and the normal way to react, I think either fight or flight, 
either you you're paralyzed, you get panic, and you wait until it's over, or you you're more in a in a then proactive way, which is probably good, but it's it's very actionistic. Yeah. So uh, some clients we have there now back to command control, like uh, the top leaders say, hey, we have to do this and then put some task force together and then just push it through without the yeah, sense-making and, and without experimenting and without uh, a bit more calm mind and in, uh, in, in, in thinking um, what to do. So it's, it's kind of like very actionist um, mm. uh, environment because people struggle for survival of their economic uh, business even more. I mean, you see the unemployment rates going up in the U.S. Uh, like crazy. Yeah. Fear. Yeah. That's just, that's just pure fear. And fear is actually not a good, not a good place to be when you think about, um, yeah, broader system. <laughs> yeah. We, we all know that. I mean, there's many a product manager out there i'm sure that's made a flippant decision out of fear or yep. in the moment and uh, mm-hmm. come to regret it a day or week yep. month or a year later so um i'm sure there'll be a few regrets to come um uh, around the world um thank you so much stefan for talking through with me not so much um sort of the day-to-day but this system's thinking as well and um, this went in a whole new direction for me and i'm really i'm really glad it did so thank you so much Thank you for having me, Jay. It was a pleasure. And for those who may watch the video on YouTube, I love the video, uh, the library behind you as well, Stefan. That's uh, an impressive (laughs) library you've got got going on there. It's one of my passions. It's it's art books. So that's uh, that's not computer or business books. It's art books that uh, collection of uh, mine and my wife. Fantastic. Fantastic. It's beautiful. Great job. Great job. Thank you so much. And I do hope one day we can get together in Berlin and I can come down and visit and see uh, what Product Dojo is all about. It'd be great. All the best. Thanks, Stefan. For those listening in, thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Stefan Haas and I. Um, It's been great to talk through some a bit more meta than, than what I usually do. So I've really enjoyed this. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes of the Product Coalition European Tour, please remember I'm dedicating this time to raising awareness and support for the bushfire affected communities of Australia. If you'd like to support either the volunteer firefighters the wildlife or the National Bushfire Fund of Australia, you can do so by heading over to bushfire.productcoalition.com. Until the next episode, thank you.